Did you spot the two things uh, in that uh, passage? Uh, You'll have spotted the two names of Judah and Josiah. And that's the only place in the Bible where those uh, two names come together. And uh, what I thought it would be uh, helpful uh, to do this morning would be to think a little bit about those two uh, biblical characters. It's been lovely to hear uh, Tom and Gemma dedicate Josiah and Judah uh, to God and to hear their promises uh, to the Lord. Um, but um, as we uh, reflect on that, there's all sorts of things that we can learn from the stories, not of this Josiah and Judah, but uh, of the, I was going to say original Josiah and Judah. There were probably Josiahs and Judahs before them, but the ones maybe that are most familiar uh, to Bible readers. So Judah, first of all, well, actually to say both of them were really important leaders, both Judah and Josiah. Uh, Judah was one of the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Perhaps we're not sure exactly it gets hard to date the Old Testament. Maybe about 1850 BC, certainly a very long time ago. And the whole tribe was named after Judah. Now Josiah was a much later king of the same tribe. And really, by that point, the tribe had become a nation. So Josiah was the king of the nation of Judah. And that was about 1,200 years after Judah had lived, in other words, around about 640 BC, thereabouts, still a very long time ago. Now, this biblical Judah, uh, not the present Judah, but the biblical Judah came from what can only be described as a dysfunctional family. And he made plenty of mistakes uh, before he realized his errors and his sin, and he started to put things right. Uh, Josiah, too, uh, needed reform, but for him, the reform wasn't just needed in his own life, although it was needed there, but he had to lead an entire nation uh, through reform. Now, I'm thankful that uh, Judah and Josiah today don't come from dysfunctional families, but their stories demonstrate how God can transform our deepest failures into his grand story of redemption. So today, we're going to learn about God's grace. Uh, we're going to learn about his call to repentance, about the significance of obedience, and what God can do with those who submit themselves to him. So first of all, we're going to think about Judah, and we're going to think about that under the heading of from selfishness to sacrifice, from selfishness to sacrifice. It's quite a long story in the Bible, so I'm not going to uh, read it all for you uh, this morning, but I'll try and summarize it quickly. Uh, but you can find it in Genesis chapter 44, particularly from verse 18 onwards. And uh, that part of Judah's life is one of the most uh, important uh, stories, perhaps, about him. Let me give you some background about uh, the biblical Judah. He was one of 11 brothers, and one of those brothers was called Joseph. Joseph was the favorite of the father. Don't have favorites, caused all sorts of problems in Joseph and Judah's uh, family life. Uh, Joseph was the one who Andrew Lloyd Webber said had a technicolor dream coat. That's the Joseph we're talking about here. He was one of Judah's brothers. Now anyway, this uh, favoritism from their dad led to jealousy among the brothers, as it so often does. Uh, Judah was jealous too. And this resentment then reached the point where the brothers 
sold Joseph into slavery. And this was actually Judah's idea. Now, to be fair to Judah, the other brothers wanted to kill Joseph. So perhaps he was the wise ahead. It, it comes to something, doesn't it? If you say the wise person said, let's sell our brother into slavery. That's how bad the family had got. And Judah then, you can imagine, he's, he's had to live with that uh, decision for years. Uh, and not just the decision to sell his brother into slavery, but also the decision that the brothers made together that they would come back and tell their father that their brother had been killed by a wild animal. They lied to their father about that. It's incredible, isn't it? But this is the Judah of the Bible. Anyway, through a series of uh, incredible events, Joseph, the one who was sold into slavery, rises to prominence in Egypt. He eventually becomes second in command to Pharaoh himself. And Joseph's uh, job, uh, if you like, his uh, cabinet position, we might think of it as, is to manage the food supply. There was often famines in those days, and they needed someone to look after that. And uh, Joseph had been given help by God to know what was going to happen to the harvest. So he was put in charge, and he, uh, Joseph, saved Egypt, really, uh, from famine by storing up lots of food uh, when the harvest was good and then having it available uh, when the harvest was bad. Now, back in Canaan, where Judah and his brothers all lived, still with their father, back in Canaan, the famine struck there as well. So these brothers, including Judah, all decided to go to Egypt. They'd heard that there was food in Egypt, and they thought, well, we're going to starve otherwise. We're all going to have to go to Egypt, hundreds of miles away. We'll all go together, probably to help keep them safe. They're going to have to carry lots of money and loads of food back. You can imagine, uh, if you were uh, traveling hundreds of miles during a famine with lots of food, the chances of you getting back would be pretty slim. So they all went together, I think for security, and they went to Egypt to buy grain. Now, they didn't know this, but when they went to buy grain, uh, who was there? But of course, their brother Joseph. They didn't recognize him. As far as they were concerned, he was probably dead. He certainly wouldn't be dressed up in Egyptian finery. But that's where he was. And Joseph recognizes them. But he doesn't let on that he knows them. Because Joseph now wants to find something out. He wants to know... Have these people really changed? Or are they still the bitter, hate-filled siblings of his past? So he orchestrates a little test. Because Joseph pretends that the youngest brother, a guy called Benjamin, has stolen some of his silver. And now the rest of the brothers are faced with a dilemma. Joseph, they don't know it's him, is threatening to throw Benjamin into prison. And Judah thinks to himself, well, my dad already thinks he's lost his favorite son. And now he's going to lose Benjamin as well because he's never going to get out of this Egyptian prison. I can't go back to my father and say, uh, your youngest son is in an Egyptian prison hundreds of miles away. I can't say that to him. So we're at a really critical point of the story of Judah's life here. What's going to happen? Well, Judah steps forward and he offers himself as a substitute. 
for his younger brother, Benjamin. Let Benjamin go back to his dad and you can keep me in prison instead until all of this is sorted out. And this moment marks the shift from selfishness to sacrifice, this profound change of heart that I think speaks volumes about the power of redemption in Judah's life. And it's a remarkable uh, transformation. Uh, Perhaps we could say one of the clearest examples in the whole Bible of what the Bible calls repentance, this complete change of heart that God requires from every one of us. Now, the beauty of the story is not just in the repentance, but in what follows repentance. And this is uh, one of the key things that I want you to learn from the story of Judah, that redemption follows repentance or comes alongside uh, uh, repentance. Sometimes redemption and repentance are so kind of mixed up together, it's hard to work out which come first. They're just, they're just all in there together. And that's what happened uh, in Judah's life because Judah's sacrifice compels Joseph to reveal his true identity. And reconciliation with the whole family follows. And the family is reunited. Now, this story isn't in the Bible merely to uh, evoke powerful emotions. Uh, it, it does that. It's not merely there as a morality tale. It's there as an illustration of what every one of us needs. Because we're all in a similar situation. I, I don't know what you've done in your lives. You'll have done some good things, and you'll have done some pretty bad things. I don't expect there's anyone here who has sold his brother into slavery. But I bet every one of us here this morning has things that we're deeply ashamed about. Or maybe things that we ought to be ashamed about. Plenty of things that we try to bury. Plenty of things that we try not to think about. Plenty of things that maybe even now you're trying to suppress because the guilt is coming back again. Plenty of things that, like Judah, we've got to be ashamed of. Now, we might be able to point to extenuating circumstances. Judah could have argued that selling Joseph was better than killing him. He'd be right. But it's not good enough, is it? Judah didn't stand up to his brothers in the way that was needed. He didn't love Joseph in the way that he ought. And he kept silent about it for years afterwards, letting his own father think that Joseph was dead, rather than to admit to what he'd done. Now, Judah could never undo all of that. But he could perhaps at least demonstrate his repentance. And he did that, didn't he, by offering himself in the place of Benjamin. And sacrifice so often is mixed in with redemption, isn't it? Maybe a, maybe a mum works multiple jobs and sacrifices her own needs to ensure her kids don't experience the poverty and hardship that she experienced as a child. And redemption, uh, in, that worldly, in that earthly sense, comes to the family, breaking a vicious cycle of struggle and brokenness and poverty that maybe has been there for generations. Maybe some doctors and nurses risk their lives to bring medicine to a remote village affected by Ebola or some other deadly disease, sacrificing their own safety to bring about healing to those who are dying and to stop an epidemic. 
Or, or maybe a soldier risks his life, or even sacrifices his life, volunteering for a dangerous mission to save his fellow soldiers, or maybe civilians. And in sacrificing his life, he saves many other lives. Stories like that are stories that we've grown up with. Ones that we know. And why is our society and our world so full of stories like that? Well, because sacrifice can bring about redemption. It's part of the universal story of mankind, as it were. But what if, what if your sacrifice is not enough? What if the things that you give up won't bring about the redemption that you need? And that's where the story of Judah and Benjamin help again. Because this story is not just about Judah and Benjamin, but it's also about a greater story of Jesus' great sacrifice for humanity. Because this story of Judah is not just there to suggest that we all need to become Judas and we all need to sacrifice ourselves so that others can be redeemed. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story here is to remind us that we are the ones in need of a Redeemer. And that Redeemer is Jesus Christ, who willingly sacrificed himself on the cross, taking our sins on himself in order that through simple faith and trust in him, we might go free. Now, later in Judah's life, when the brothers have been reconciled, not just with Joseph, but with their father too, Judah's father, Jacob, prophesies about the future of Judah, his son. It's in Genesis 49, if you want to look it up. It's kind of like a prophecy and a poem all rolled into one. And it describes Judah's supremacy, his uh, royal lineage. It says this, your father's sons will bow down before you. It says that the scepter, the scepter is a symbol of uh, royal power. It says the scepter will not depart from Judah. It compares Judah to a, to a lion. And the prophecy, therefore, points us to Jesus, who the Bible later will call the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. So that's what we learn from Judah. He went from selfishness to sacrifice, and he points us to the great sacrifice that Jesus made in order to redeem people like us. Let's move then to Josiah, shall we? What do we learn from him? Well, uh, this story is told in two chronicles, chapters 33 and 34. Again, it's a, it's a lengthy story. We don't have time to read it, but it's worth reading uh, at home when you have time. And we can look at uh, uh, Josiah's story under the heading from regicide to renewal, from regicide to renewal. If you don't know what regicide is, don't worry. I'm going to explain it in a minute. But if Judah had a difficult upbringing, Josiah's was worse. His grandfather was a man called King Manasseh. King Manasseh sacrificed his own sons as an offering to false gods. Uh, 2 Chronicles 33 verses 6 and 9 say this, He burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed 
before the people of Israel. In other words, what the Bible is saying here is that there were, there were wicked regimes around about uh, the, the, the kingdom of Judah. But Judah, under King Manasseh, was worse than all of them. Worse than them all. Now, to be fair to Manasseh, late in his life, very late in his life, he did learn the error of his, of his ways. And uh, Manasseh is a great example uh, of someone who comes to the Lord very late in life. Uh, not quite a deathbed conversion, but not far from that. Uh, we read that when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So that's, that's Manasseh. He has this, he's a, he's a wicked man. And right near the end of his life, he realizes how wicked he's been. And he converts, as it were, comes back uh, to the Lord. Uh, and maybe that conversion would kind of later uh, rub off on Josiah. Uh, we'll find out. But it did not rub off on Ammon, sometimes called uh, Amos in the, in the New Testament. So Ammon was Manasseh's son and Josiah's father. And here's what the Bible says about him. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had got done. It's not a, not a great description, is it, when you think about how evil Manasseh was. And this is how bad it got. That Ammon's servants, 2 Chronicles 33, conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. That's the regicide. Regicide means the death or the, the killing of a king. And uh, Ammon was so wicked, his own servants killed him. And the people of the land, the Bible tells us, made Josiah his son king in his place. So what a terrible example that he's got. His grandfather, uh, long dead now, but one was a terribly wicked man. His father, also now dead, equally wicked. And now Josiah is eight years old, as we heard with the children earlier on. But Josiah, again as children, he gets four things right. The first thing he gets right is that he purges evil from the nation. He cuts down the idols where his grandfather offered those human sacrifices. He breaks up the altars to make sure they can't be used again. Now, now don't think of this as Josiah limiting the freedom of religion. That's not what's going on here. Uh, think of it um, in the way that the Allies purged Germany of Nazism and Nazi symbols at the end of the Second World War. They knew just how evil Nazism was. And they knew that the, that the only way, really, of freeing the German people from the grip of that evil was to root it out, to purge it, to destroy it, and the symbols of it. And that's, of course, uh, what they tried to do. And that's what uh, Josiah did, even as a young boy. So he tried to purge evil as much as he could. The second thing that he got right is that he went back to the Bible. It had been so long since there had been a godly king that the Bible itself had been lost. Can you imagine that? Nobody knew what the Bible said. Nobody knew what the Bible said. Nobody could even put their hands on a Bible. Now, they didn't have a complete Bible in those days. Uh, the story of uh, Judah is about here in the Bible, as you, can, uh, as you can see. Lots of the Bible hadn't been written, but the stuff that had been written, they'd lost it. They'd literally lost it. 
Uh, remember, uh, in those days, we're talking more than two and a half thousand years ago, uh, ordinary people wouldn't have owned books. Books weren't going to be invented for uh, another, uh, uh, what, thousand years or so. Uh, but they wouldn't even have owned scrolls, not in any meaningful sense. Only a tiny number of scrolls would have existed, often in royal palaces and temples. And during the reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, the Bible had literally been lost. But Josiah found it, or at least people working for Josiah found it as they were renovating the temple. And Josiah asked for it to be read to him. And as it was read to him, he realized that despite all the reforms that he tried to put in place, despite everything he tried to do, there were many things that he was still getting wrong. So Josiah was determined to live his life in accordance with what the Bible taught. He, he wasn't just going to go with his own gut, his own instinct. No, I want to do what God wants, so I'm going to follow God's word. That was great that Josiah did that. The third thing that Josiah got, got right was that he repented. And in this sense, he was just like Judah. Uh, it wouldn't have been easy for, oh, sorry, it would have been easy for Josiah to compare himself to his father. Well, compared to my dad, I'm a saint, he could very easily have said. Compared with the way my granddad spent most of his life, I'm an archangel. He could have said that. And maybe it would have been true. But that's not what Josiah did. He didn't just look to compare himself with those who had gone before him. Instead, he compared himself to the best of standards, to the standards in the Bible. And because of that, he knew that he was a long way short of where he needed to be. I wonder if you've ever had that experience yourself where somebody has been perhaps reading from the Bible, maybe you've been reading it yourself, and you realize, I'm a long way short of where I need to be. How do you respond to that? What do you do in those circumstances? Well, I can tell you what Josiah did. It drove him to tears. It drove him to his knees. It drove him to repentance. He didn't harden his heart against this word. Instead, his heart became tender, the Bible says and he'd followed God. The fourth thing that Josiah got right was that he kept the Passover. He kept the Passover. Just like the Bible, the Passover had been forgotten. Now, now the Passover is a really important festival uh, in Jewish thinking, uh, as important perhaps and very similar in lots of ways to Christmas uh, for us. Uh, Christmas is a, uh, a time where uh, we remember that Jesus came into the world uh, to save us. And the Passover was a time when uh, the Israelites remembered that God uh, came into the world, as it were, not as a human being, but he acted in the world to save them from Egypt and from slavery. And every year they used to celebrate Passover, but it had got forgotten. They'd forgotten how much God had saved them. Probably the kings that had preceded them uh, wanted the people to think, forget about God, I'm the one who's going to save you. They wanted to be the powerful ones. But Josiah didn't take that view. He wanted people to remember God. So when, when I say he kept the Passover, he taught everybody in the nation about what God had done. And they all celebrated the Passover together. And the Bible says it's, it was such a party. And nothing's like it's been seen uh, before. But here's the thing. Josiah got those four things right, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. 
Because despite getting so much right, despite being so much better than his father and his grandfather, Josiah ended up being killed in battle. And shortly after his death, the country was overrun by the Egyptians. And the Bible's very clear and explains why. It, it says, Josiah, in, in this one instance, forgot to listen to God. He failed to, to listen to, to God's voice. You see, there's a lesson that we can learn here, I think, especially from Josiah, but also from Judah. And there's two parts to this lesson, I think. The first part to the lesson is that we needn't and shouldn't be defined by our past or by our parentage. Both the biblical Judah and Josiah had a difficult upbringing. They had lots of bad examples around them. And partly because of those bad examples and partly because, like us, they're human and they make mistakes and get things wrong and sometimes are selfish, for all of those reasons, they did get things wrong. Sometimes they got things wrong very badly, like uh, Judah selling his brother into slavery. But both Judah and Josiah repented and they sought God's help to live the best life that they could. Not a life defined by past failure, but a life redeemed. And maybe there are some here this morning who feel defined by your past or by your parentage. And I'm here to remind you this morning that we needn't be and shouldn't be defined by that. We should be defined instead by our relationship with God, which is so important that it overwhelms any of our other relationships. And what God does in our lives, in our souls, is so important that it overwhelms what anyone else has done and even what we ourselves have done. That was Judah and Josiah's experience. The second thing that we can learn is that simply doing your best or trying your hardest is not enough. Judah sacrificed himself for Benjamin, but he still needed someone else willing to sacrifice themselves for him. He needed to be rescued by Joseph, ultimately, in this story. Josiah reformed the nation, but he still needed somebody to reform his own heart. God did that through his word. And both their stories, therefore, point us to Jesus Christ as the, the only one who is able to reform our hearts, the only one who is able to redeem us. Uh, we read earlier, didn't we, from Matthew chapter 1, how Jesus was descended by both Judah and Josiah. It's almost as if, isn't it, that God wanted us to really make sure we understood that their stories pointed to Jesus's story, that their lives prepare the way for his life, that their lives explain the need for Jesus' life as God weaves the threads of history into the fabric of his redemptive plan. So no matter what the mistakes that we have made, no matter what the difficult circumstances we face, our lives can be transformed by God's grace. Because like Judah, we can move from selfishness to sacrifice, from a life focused on ourselves to a life surrendered to God. And like Josiah, we can turn from a legacy of sin and darkness to a life of repentance and renewal. But ultimately, of course, our own efforts and our own sacrifices are not enough. We need a savior who can redeem us completely. And Judah's sacrifice pointed us to the ultimate sacrifice made by Jesus Christ on the cross, where Jesus took the sins of those who trust in him and offered us redemption. And Josiah's reforms 
point us to the need for that heart transformation and reformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. So let's not be defined by our past failures, but instead let us look to Jesus, our Redeemer, our King, who can bring about true transformation and renewal in our lives. Let's surrender ourselves fully to him as Tom and Gemma sought to do in the vows that they gave earlier. Let's surrender ourselves to him, making sure that we're following him, not asking him to follow us. We're allowing him, pleading with him to work in us and through us so that we may experience the fullness of his grace and find true redemption in Jesus Christ.